Hello, hello everyone. Just a reminder, we do have the chat. Make sure to introduce yourself if you're new, um, if you're a returning uh, audience member, make sure to say hello and let us know as well. Um, we have another great episode of Marketing Ops Confessions, but before, but before we dive in, I'll introduce myself because I am a newer face. My name is Laura Hebert. I am the Demand Gen Manager here at MyKudu. I'm newer to the team, um, and I'm really excited to talk with Andy today for um, our second to last session for um, Season 6. So I'm really excited to speak to Andy she is the VP of Consulting at Revenue Pulse. She is a two-time um, Marketo Engage champion. She is an original member of the Fearless 50. She's certified in what's formally known as the um, MCE, I think. Uh, right. <laughs> right, I know it has an updated um, name. And, or, and since, this is since 2013. So, um, and she runs the Marketo user group in Chicago. Wow, Andy, so many accomplishments. Welcome to Marketing Ops Confessions. Thanks for having me. But yeah, we're, we're glad to have you. So um, you have a really amazing story from how you ended up in marketing ops as a profession and consulting and um, I'd really love for you to just dive in with your entire story because there's just, it's so amazing. There's so much to it. Um, and yeah, feel free to ask questions in the chat as she's telling her story and we'll, we'll follow up with, um, with responding. Um, yeah, absolutely. Great. Thing. Again, thanks for having me excited to be here. So, um, yes, I think like many of us that found MOPS before MOPS was really a thing, um, mm -hmm. or even RevOps or any of those other areas. Um, I didn't set myself on a trajectory to be where I am today. I didn't know it was an option when I was in school. It, it wasn't something that was ever on my radar, and I really fell into it almost backwards just by saying yeah. yes to opportunities, which I think is a common theme among so many of us um, in the industry, and especially those that have been um, sort of uh, early uh, members of that. So I actually started out uh, my education in psychology. I you know, grew up in that scenario where even strangers were coming to me with problems and asking me for advice. And I thought, hey, I might as well get paid for this. And uh, that was where I, I went uh, with school for my undergrad. And I was, wrapping up my senior year and trying to figure out what the next step looked like for me. And it, it was sort of twofold. One, my mom had raised me with this idea that I would go to college, you know, potentially there or elsewhere, meet a guy, get married, have a family, and that would be my primary focus in life. And that the career was sort of a secondary, like, bridge, the gap until those things in the happen. Meantime. <laughs> right. Um, and also I was considering this idea of getting my master's, becoming a therapist, and maybe being able to kind of have that tangential or in parallel with this plan that my mother had told me to anticipate. My mom got married in 18, a very different era and generation. So I get why that was her perception. Right. Um, 
but as I was getting close to graduation, I had this vision of myself sitting on a, like across from a guy on a sofa. He's telling me about all of his life problems, how, you know, his kids hate him. His wife doesn't understand him. He hates his job. He doesn't know how to manage his life. And at, you know, 23 years old, how ill prepared and irresponsible it is of me in that lack of preparation with life experience to try to be helping this individual when I've had none of those things and I just couldn't do it. And so I actually ended up um, (laughs) going into kind of a variety of different jobs, mostly sales focused um, because that was what I could get in the early 2000s. There was no, you know, shortage of, of sales jobs. And, um, you know, even things like yearbook publishing, I was a yearbook publishing uh, territory rep for four years in the LA basin. It was my first intro to Adobe products, working in things like InDesign and teaching that to high schoolers and helping them learn how to put together yearbooks, which was incredibly fulfilling, but it was mostly sales, a little bit of marketing. And it wasn't my thing. it, It was fine. I didn't hate it. I liked it, but it, it wasn't like something I was really passionate about. And so was this like your first taste into sales and marketing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so in 2008, I decided to relocate from California where I had lived my entire life to Chicago. I knew one person. Um, I didn't have a job lined up. It turned out 2008 was a really interesting time for those of you that remember that year uh, economically to be looking for work. And so I found my way into sales roles again because that's what was available and that's what my resume supported. And then in 2010, I was hired by a startup. It was their 12th hire, really lean, scrappy organization. And literally my job description was open up enterprise level opportunities. That was it. There was nothing else on that job description. So many ways um, to there. Yeah. Um, and so uh, my first day on the job, they handed me a spreadsheet that had 300 rows and columns where the data did not match the header. Um, and a phone. And after I laughed at them and told them we need to get Salesforce, I essentially also became just by default the Salesforce admin. I'd used the tool previously, was familiar enough and curious and scrappy enough to get myself into the tool and really start running with it. Yeah. So over the following five years with that organization, I grew out our CRM and SDR practice. I grew out our email marketing practice, which frankly was probably not super compliant by today's standards. Um, I, you know, went through that whole process, essentially owning those, both of those functions and then moving into marketing automation in 2011 and Marketo in 2012. So really for that organization, as it was growing, I did hold what today would be considered a RevOps position, which was a really amazing opportunity and one that I probably wouldn't have, frankly, today, um, just because I feel like those tools are so much more recognized now as their own role and function in organizations that need that level of attention and, and management. Yeah. And so I have a, a question about how you got into that. So you mentioned you had the curiosity. There was a problem that like, I can solve this. I want to learn about this and I want to help. So how did you 
get familiar with these tools that maybe you didn't um, have much experience with, like what previous experience did you pull and like, um, yeah, how did you, how did you get there? And um, so, you know, with Salesforce hours on YouTube, their community, the resources that were there, um, you know, I Googled so many things. Um, and then with Marketo, um, you know, I really raised my hand within the organization to take that on. And my org was really excited to support that. Actually, I had a, a very um, a supportive CEO, someone who was really engaged in making sure that this part of the business was successful. And so that included um, what we now call core concepts and going through all of that coursework. And frankly, a lot of time spent in the community, both online and also going to the Marketo user group and just asking all my questions, bugging everybody. Like, I'm sure they were like, oh, she's here again. Like, how many questions is she going to have this time? Um, But any and all resources that I could avail myself of, I 100% did. I had someone at support that knew me when I would call, she'd be like, Hey, Andy, it's you again. And like, it's me. Um, And we would logic through stuff together on the line. She was amazing. So like all of those aspects led to my starting to build out my discipline in Marketo. And eventually in the fourth year at that organization, they did decide to hire an SFDC admin. And so I moved fully into a MOPS role. Um, but that was sort of what that that transition um, looked like. And to be perfectly honest, even at that point, my understanding of Marketo was still needing a lot of maturity and, and still growing. Um, and I, I, I still to this day think of it as a practice. It is right. continuing to learn and discover new areas in the tool, new ways to do things. Um, anyone who says they know everything about Marketo with the exception of like one person I could think probably uh, is not being truthful with themselves or you or both. <laughs> yeah, I think it's almost, you know, it's so good to go into something without really knowing much at all because the opportunity to have um, your learning and it's just going in with full cur- curiosity and not saying, I already know this, this is the way you should do it or these yeah. are the tools at hand because sometimes you can find something that maybe you didn't know was there and you apply it in a way that helps you solve the problem that you're going after. Well, and also just the will or desire to experiment, to try it a different way. So what if I do it this way? Or how about this? Or, you know, what does this change if I, you know, structure it in a different sort of way or think about the data differently, et cetera. Right. And so you were, you, they had the new hire. And so what came next? Yeah. So I had been in that uh, org for five years. I'd held four different roles there. Um, and I really felt like I just was at kind of a glass ceiling sort of place. I had an organization approach me about a marketing director level role, which also involved stepping away from Marketo, um, but did involve getting to essentially own nine in- instances of HubSpot which was a really interesting uh, process back in the day when you couldn't support multiple domains on one, one instance. Um, And so I joined the organization and uh, helped to launch a new brand for them. It was a really great experience. 
it was interesting though because there were there were functionality components that I was used to that I couldn't do. Kind of felt like my hands were tied. I definitely missed Marketo. Um, and we, you know, did a review of all the marketing automation tools that were on the market at the time and compared them against what the spend was for just that part of the stack to support nine instances of HubSpot and found that we could be saving $40,000, $50,000 a year. And that was posed and not really of interest. And so I started looking for opportunities to get back into Marketo to that platform and, and that role that was the first time I'd actually found something that I was super passionate about and I and I loved and partially because I had made the decision early uh, while at that first startup to go back to school and get my master's. And I was actually thinking I was gonna career change. I was gonna go back into psychology. I was focused on forensic psych actually as my um, degree. Yeah. And then when I found Marketo, I'd retooled and uh, doubled down and changed to psychology of organizational leadership because I, I saw this tool, I saw the discipline that was around it, and I wanted to be able to also evolve and grow my own potential to be a leader and to be um, an impactful and positive leader within organizations when that opportunity might be presented to me in the future. Nice. So um, that degree, along with the experience, started to move me forward in my career. I moved to an organization where I owned Marketo Instance with about 60 end users globally, a little over that, um, and really focused on growing out the you know, practice and discipline of using the tool for the end users as well as the instance itself, and then was offered um, a director level role, and then from there, a VP of MarTech role with another Chicago startup. So that's where I was in 2018. Um, I had taken over uh, in 2017 the user group for uh, the Marketo group in Chicago. Um, and that was, uh, I think, where I really started to develop um, a passion and almost like a drive for more opportunities to help mentor and give back in the way that I had received from the user group when I first started was going and bugging them every month with all the you know various questions that I had. Um, and so from that started to really grow a desire to, to mentor more, to help others grow more. And that came out also in my teams uh, where I was leading as well. So as I was joining this organization as their VP of MarTech and starting to really foster and nurture the team there, grow up the discipline and establish how we would function um, in that department within the organization. I also found out that we were expecting our first child, which was a huge surprise. Um, that was probably the one time in uh, our marriage as I was taking on that role that I was like, this is not a good time for this. Um, I didn't get married till I was 36. I didn't start working in Marketo until I was um, 31, almost 32. So like all of these Titan things happened so much later in my life that I think we're led to believe when these things should be happening. Yeah, a lot of new things at once. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we had basically gotten to the point where we really didn't think we could have kids. Um, we were kind of looking into adoption. We didn't know what we were going to do. And then there was this miracle pregnancy, you know, first scan, there's a heartbeat and everything that goes along with that, the shock, the joy, the 
trying to figure out how you're going to talk to your employers about it. And um, fast forward the week before Thanksgiving, I was six months pregnant and um, I came into the office and they liquidated 20% of the headcount that day. My entire team was liquidated. I was also laid off. And um, it was one of those moments of like, okay. <laughs> so my husband, we'd made the decision for him to go back to school. I'm sole income. I'm six months pregnant. Um, our house is an hour outside of Chicago. So like, I had had a blended, like mostly remote, partially in-person role. Like, what does all of this mean? Right. And I honestly, at that point, having had so many years in Marketo, already having been named Fearless 50, the user group, I knew I had Marketo in my back pocket. I knew I had SFBC admin in my back pocket. I was going to be fine. I, I knew, you know, I would definitely find something and probably not too far out. Um, but I was very concerned about my team being right before the holidays, what their active packages looked like. Those types of things were really a priority for me that day. Um, and that is how I ended up in consulting. So until that time, I had been approached by consultancies. I had interviewed with consultancies and I really had avoided it for a variety of reasons. I, I don't know why I was so anti-consultancy or so desperate to say client side, right. but I really, really wanted to be in-house. And I think I had this perception partially because of the user group, because people were always looking in Chicago for people who knew how to use Marketo, that somehow going to consultancy meant that I wasn't helping one of these companies in Chicago that needed somebody like me. And it hadn't yet occurred to me, for whatever reason, we all have those blind spots and obtuse moments, that it meant that I could be helping 10, 12, 20 companies a year instead, and that continuing to sponsor people, learning how to use Marketo for the first time or becoming more adept at the tool organizations, you know, using it more effectively was actually the output of consulting and not, um, you know, sort of a removal from being in that pool. And that was really something that I don't know why my, you know, perception was what it was, but it was, and I was wrong. Yeah. Um, so in 2019, when I started interviewing, um, after the Christmas season, I had found some consultative work. I was good. Um, and so I was doing that. Um, I was looking primarily at consultancies because most of them are, are and were at that time remote fully. And so that was a really, um, positive option for me to be able to be a new mom and starting back a little earlier because I couldn't really take a full maternity leave with the whole scenario being, you know, what it was. Right. And um, I interviewed with Revenue Pulse. Um, originally during the interview process, I was telling people that I had a medical procedure coming up and that I was going to have a month of recovery. Um, like, you know, like it's a knee surgery or something. I didn't know yeah. how to address that without this is all remote you know, still, right? This is all remote still, but still like in my head, I'm like, are they going to get weird if they find out that I'm about to become a first time mom and what that means for their perception of how I can deliver or be available. Like I didn't want that to be part of, um, you know, a subconscious biased component of that, um, you know, possibility of getting a position because I needed a role, right? I need right. to be able to support my family. So I interviewed with Revenue Pulse when I was nine months pregnant. 
Um, during the interview process, one of the other team members that I interviewed with was literally due a couple weeks after my due date. And I just came clean. I was like, look, medical procedure is birth. <laughs> like I'm about to have a kid. That's what's going on. Um, and I'm still really excited in a role. Like I want to join you, but you know, that's also what's up. Yeah. And they actually pushed back and said, we want you to start, we get you to start tomorrow if we could, but um, why don't you come back? Like when you start with us, why don't you start part-time? Why don't you ramp up? Like, why don't you give yourself a little bit of breathing room to also figure, you know, out what the new role plus the new role really looks like. And so that's how I ended up at Revenue Pulse. Wow. Amazing. So I want to step back to like when you brought up, you know, you're going through a lot of change, you were building up your team at this previous place, and then everything kind of like uh, changed again, everything kind yeah. of the rug got pulled out. And yeah. so I want to just echo what Brooke is saying um, about you being fearless. I mean, at that time, was it scary? Were you just like, I need to do this? Like, did you feel confident because of your training and where you've been so far? Like, how did you make that decision of just like, all right, yeah. figure out something yeah. else? Well, I mean, I, I first and foremost knew that I had, you know, Marketo in my back pocket. So I think mm -hmm. that was a big factor for me. I think knowing that you have marketable skills that are needed in, in business, it's already sort of a boon, right? That's mm -hmm. one less thing you have to worry about. Um, and so, I, I mean, I guess you could call it fearless maybe it was just me being a little bit like, well, it is what it is. I'm kind of accepting it. Um, I, I wrote an article about it for the fearless 50 because I, I did want to expose like what happens for women with, you know, being the primary income and motherhood and, and those transitions and, and the things you have to think about and how it's kind of scary. Um, but I just, I, I knew I'd land on my feet. I, I knew that I had a whole plethora of opportunities. I was getting LinkedIn, you know, inquiries on a weekly basis about people looking for assistance with Marketo. I knew I'd be fine. Right. Yeah. And um, you and I talked about this a little bit when you met from like how you were brought up and the expectations or um, some of how your your mom kind of told you your your path might look and just, uh, you know, just your career being maybe a short part of your life. And, you know, I grew up um, in, the, in the South, which, you know, don't want to put everyone in a bucket, but very common for like women to, you know, be a stay at home mom or anything, these things. And I felt very lucky that um, I kind of had these flipped gender gender roles and that my dad stayed home and my mom's work worked. And so I felt so lucky to see that. And she instilled in me, you know, this, this work ethic and working hard and, um, not necessarily like having it all and doing it all, but you can manage, like you can still do these things, work hard. And, um, just to say, I'm sure everyone in the audience agrees hearing your story and relating to that. I think that's so important for anyone, but especially women and people who, or caretakers or mothers that um, you you can you can push forward. You can be the breadwinner and you can be the mom and you can yeah. be an inspiration well, mentor. I think it's important to preface all of that by saying though that I have an incredible support network. Right. My husband is incredibly 
um, supportive when, you know, I got laid off and then Charlie was born. He took a semester off school to be the primary so that I could work. Um, and now we have an amazing nanny with our family and I couldn't do what I do without those elements. I know there are so many parents out there and many of them women who during the pandemic and, and continuing into, you know, 2022 are having to find ways to be a full-time parent and work full-time. And it's why we've seen so many people leaving the market for, for the, in, they're just exiting the job market. Right. Um, and that's not the scenario that I have. And I would never want someone who's in that position to think that those things are possible without a support network. Because right. I, I really don't think from an emotional, mental, physical health perspective that they necessarily are. Um, but also I've had to make decisions and I've been you know, lucky enough to be able to make decisions to pursue something I'm passionate about with the support that I have and to structure things in that way. And it also means that I have a three-year-old son who knows when I say, okay, kiddo, his immediate response is mama's got to go to work because he knows, you know, I'm not with you right now because that's what I'm doing. So that's the other trade-off that I have is I'm not, you know, taking in swim class and gym class and those types of things because I'm I'm working, I'm, I'm doing what I need to do for the family to support us. Yeah. And you had mentioned that, you know, in our conversation, I was like, you know, how do you view work-life balance? And it's so important mm -hmm. to know that sometimes it's not 50, 50 work-life. Sometimes if you have never your support system, it's not always 50, it's 50. never, yeah, it's never 50, 50. I always say work-life balance, true work-life balance, like positive work-life balance is the capability to be 100% focused on that thing at that time. In other words, when I'm with my family, I'm not checking Slack, I'm not responding to emails, I'm not being requested to respond to things or, or needed at work. Work is actually letting me be off and away doing life. And that I've structured my support system in such a way so that when I'm working, I can be 100% focused on work and getting the things that I need to get done there done. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Ben. And I see um, Hannah in the chat. She's she's so good with this as well. She has a, a young a young son as well. And there's times where he's like, "Mom's on the phone. Get off the phone." And um, just big big kudos kudos to. Um, to the working parents and, and managing. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think in all scenarios, having having your support system and um, how wonderful that you worked and you walked into a company that supported you and believed yeah. in you. Yeah, you know, it's definitely been one of the most um, family aware uh, companies I've ever been in. I don't know if that's an output of their first and foremost being a Canadian company or just the aspect of, of leadership um, there. It's definitely something that I continue to foster as I've moved into a leadership role within the organization. Um, I firmly believe that our humanity is what makes us good at our jobs too. And so that's an important element of being a human and of recognizing that we're all humans as we, you know, grow and develop talents and, and through that grow and develop the company, that that has to be part of what's first and foremost in your mind 
as, as a leader and as a, a developer of talent. Right. And so you started at Revenue Pulse and it, it seemed like they let you kind of um, start like part-time, kind of get used to things as you're going. So what, yeah. what happens next once you've um, jumped into Revenue Pulse? So um, I tend to not be someone who does well with slow ramps. Um, I started part-time, but then I had applied to speak at Adobe Summit um, that year. So at six weeks postpartum, I was literally flying to Vegas to go speak on stage and like shipping milk home and like all those kind of things. Um, probably not what most people would consider ramping totally. <laughs> um, by the time I started in March with them, and by the time I hit May 1st, I was like, guys, I'm just, I'm ready. I'm already at my desk more than 20 hours. Like, even though that's what I'm logging. So let's just do this. Like, let's jump in and, and go full time. And so um, he was three months old at that point. It seems like a good time to make that transition. Um, I moved into full time. And then uh, the following year, when I was named uh, first time Marketo champion, I was promoted to senior consultant. And during that year, is when I made a move within the organization, which is actually, I think, what put me on the trajectory to move into the head of consulting and now VP of consulting role. And that is as COVID hit and as we got into the implications of not being in person in 2020, I saw a lot of organizations just canceling their internships. And so even though it was a little bit later into the spring, than most organizations would start an internship program, I went to my CEO and said, can we do an internship program this year? So many people have lost their opportunities for internships. I don't know what we can do because we're a Canadian company, so we have to have it be paid. We can't do a large group, but I would love to sponsor this, and can I do this? And um, he just had two giant thumbs up and like, oh, cool, you, you go for it. Like, you know, you do it, uh, sort of uh, approach to it. And, um, you know, some spot checks on like, actually, I'd like to pay them a couple more dollars per hour sort of scenario, okay. those types of things. Um, and so we put the posting up. And in the first like four or five days, we had it live, we had over 100 applications. And so um, was there a, um, a note of like how many applications you were accepting or like how many interns would join the program? So we were only able to do two interns for okay. that year. We hadn't necessarily prefaced it in that way, but that was sort of what we had um, short notice budget for and bandwidth as far as managing with mentorship and other things. And the internship was really designed to be a fully educational program. In our organization, we do not have people who are not certified inside of customer platforms. So it's not like they're going to be doing consultative or billable work, mm -hmm. but there is so much opportunity for them to get a hands-on experience in Marketo and learn from certified Marketo experts in a way that's not available elsewhere. Typically, you can't really learn Marketo unless you have Marketo. So it was a way for us to give back to do some education and potentially to spark an interest or a passion in this area of the industry for someone that maybe, like me, didn't even know this was a thing that existed or never had exposure to that and suddenly found something that was um, maybe what they wanted to be when they grew up or definitely not, but at least now they know and it's a, yeah. it's a cool experience to have, you know? 
Nice. And so at the the start of this internship pr- program, did you run this entirely on your own? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, so I ran all the educational sessions. I set up the mentoring connections. Um, I went through the process of preparing them for the MCA um, and we sponsored them through taking that certification, um, the, the whole thing, that's uh, the bolt. So yeah, it was a really, really fun, um, amazing experience to get to uh, take part in and, and drive forward. And um, it felt really nice to be, even in a small scale, right. doing something to push back in an environment where so much was being taken away and canceled and, and not available. So, yeah. And so what was it like to build a remote internship program? Well, I mean, we already knew we never had an office to begin with. It's not like we're going to have interns coming in and fetching us coffee. Um, So it was, you know, what opportunities can we give them? Can we sign them up for core concepts? You know, we can walk them through how to build a send program, how to build a webinar program, and then have them actually go and do that in sandbox and present that back to us. Um, we can have them on client calls, shadowing and learning what that looks like on mentorship calls with, you know, our specialist tactical team and with a consultative side and all of those elements of that. So there was more than enough fodder to fill um, the internship for, uh, I think, a six week uh, process. And then one of our interns actually stayed on with us uh, after getting her MCA and continued to do some work and learn uh, for a, a good extended period of time post that. So that's amazing. And so what would your advice be? This would be a two part question. So like, what would your advice be for someone or a company wanting to start an internship program? And what would your advice be for someone applying for, for your internship program or similar ones? Yeah. So I think, you know, most people who know me will, will recognize that one of my um, key principles is don't ask, don't get. Mm -hmm. So you'll never have an internship program unless you go and ask to have an internship program and leadership can turn you down. That may not be something that's a priority for them right now, but if that's something that you're passionate about and you think you have an opportunity to provide even an educational, just give no get scenario, do it, ask, see what they say. The worst they can say is no. Yeah. Um, I love that. I've, I've phrased it differently. It's like, if you don't ask, the answer is no kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. also, I know you're you're really passionate about bringing up MOPS professionals in general. Mm-hmm. And so say there is a, like a hard no on internships. What's another way for someone who's maybe learned a lot and wants to share it? How can they um, kind of pass on what they've gained in their professional and educational? Upbringing? Yeah. I think there's a lot of avenues, whether it's in Marketo, which is obviously the part of my discipline to just general areas and MOPs. You can look for things like the Marketo user group, reach out and say, hey, I'm, I have this area that I'm really interested in or I want to talk about. Are you looking for presenters? I'd love to find a way to get involved there. Um, you can produce your own content and put it on YouTube, right? Like, So many great pieces of content exist on YouTube from individual contributors who just want have something to say and want to put that out there. Um, And then I think there are opportunities to, through your community, to let people know, whether it's through LinkedIn or other areas, 
that you're looking to mentor. I know I have had wonderful opportunities to mentor through the Champion Program and through the Fearless 50 Program, and I've been exposed to some really amazing people, and I've been able to be a, a part of journeys for them um, as they've you know, moved forward into new and better roles, um, left toxic organizations, gotten you know into more positive culture scenarios, all those types of things, and being able to be, you know, a part of that, and also to give back in that um, is really uh, one of my favorite parts of um, sort of my my day to day. I still have regular standing sessions with a couple people, but um, literally I started. Uh, or weekly sessions with uh, people that I started mentoring from the second class of Fearless 50, which would have been, you know, a couple of years back now. So, yeah. And one thing I think that's important to know too, like you're in um, a leadership position and I think it's great, um, you know, that you're able to start this internship program. But another thing too, is like, if you're looking to get into leadership, I think mentoring or asking if you can lead or help an internship program is a really good way to, um, you know, learn through teaching and see if a, a leadership or a person management role is um, a path that you'd like to go on. I think it also helps identify for leadership that you are looking for more and that you are looking to develop people and, and to move into more of that leadership space. So those types of things, whether it's internships or other things that you can put yourself forward for within your organization are never going to hurt you. They're just going to show that you're putting kind of your money where your mouth is on wanting to take on more, wanting to do more, wanting to excel further above and beyond where you currently are in your role in your organization and all of that's a good thing right um so i want to really get your insight on um the fearless 50 and being a marketo champion i know we have a lot of people who've maybe been in the marketing ops profession for some time but as you very well know there's people who are um stumbling into this role or they're learning about it, the more it becomes a career path. Um, and so like, what, what is the Marketo champion program? What is the fearless 50? Like, how do you get into yeah. it? What's the benefit? Yeah. So I was nominated for the fearless 50 program after taking on the Chicago mug program and really, um, turning that around and elevating it and kind of gotten a little, um, it just it needed a fresh coat of paint, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and so how we were able to evolve that uh, caught the notice of um, Marketo leadership. And so when my name was put in for candidate for Fearless 50, I was one of the first 25 selected. And the Fearless 50 is not necessarily for Marketo users or even necessarily people that are at companies that have Marketo. It's more a program around recognizing um, potential for leadership and developing and sponsoring that in individuals, giving them opportunities to interface with other leaders in the space, to mentor mm -hmm. with former Fearless 50 individuals, um, and to hone in on what it means to be a leader in marketing. And you can apply yourself for that or be, um, you know, nominated. So it's okay. either or. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And so for the Marketo Champion Program, what, um, 
what is that? Is that something you applied to? Is it training? Yeah. yeah. So I uh, have been a champ two times now. Mm -hmm. I have applied way more than two times to be a champ. Um, initially, uh, you know, heavy posting in the community, being involved online, spending a lot of time inside of Marketo. Um, you know, I wanted to be a champ, but it seemed like something that was not accessible to me. Um, it wasn't something where I ever felt like I was really considered. And I think the champion program is an extension of advocacy within the community. So stepping up to take on things like running the user group, to present at user groups, to be involved heavily in the community as an advocate, to be someone who's creating content that sponsors more usage and adoption of Marketo. This is a recognition of those things and a, a platform or a forum to continue to be an advocate and to have a broader stage on which to speak from. So whether that's opportunities to speak at things like Adobe Summit or many of the other Adobe events or other MarTech events to contribute to the Champion blog, um, office hours, all the different types of um, thought leadership that occur coming from the Champion class. This is sort of a group of individuals who are recognized as being able to offer best practice and evolution within MOPS and specifically the Marketo space that will be useful for anyone from those that are just starting to dip their toe into Marketo to those that have, you know, dove headfirst into the deep end and live there every day. Yeah. Um, and so kind of going into if, if like your history of like kind of getting into marketing ops backwards from building the internship and um, kind of building roles. Um, I am curious if you have any um, specific advice for someone who's wanting to get into MOPS. We know, you know, there's the communities and internships and some trainings to do, but um, yeah. have you seen people have more success in their path, either like starting in a company that doesn't have a MOPS role and building it even as a newbie? Should you join a team where there already is a, a MOPS uh, function? Yeah, so I think everybody's path is gonna be different because there aren't clear routes yet in the evolution of MOPS or how to get into an organization that does mm -hmm. those things. I think the first and foremost thing that I can say is be a hand raiser. Be someone who's willing to take on new tasks, who's willing to try things, who's willing to say, hey, I'm a little out of my element here. Maybe I don't feel super comfortable, um, but I'll figure it out. And I want to figure it out. Um, and beyond that, I mean, I think that extends into our organizations and how many of us originally got into MOPS in those first couple sort of uh, generations of, of MOPS professionals that are now seen as, as sort of the old guard. Um, is that we were hand raisers. We were those that were willing to say within our organization, like, I don't know what this is, but I'm willing to figure it out. Um, for getting into, you know, organizations where you don't have a MOPS background or you're, or you're newer to this, even if you have exposure to marketing or to sales, understanding how those functions operate is key to being a good MOPS professional. 
because you are essentially operationalizing what marketers are doing through technology and automation. So if you understand how those work first and foremost, and then look for opportunities, whether that's internships, whether that's a entry level role into an organization where you can be trained up from, from there, or whether that's, you know, I've had experience in this other platform that I think would be applicable inside of Marketo and I'm willing to learn Marketo if you're willing to teach me that or sponsor me to go through that educational process. I think all of those are possible avenues. I know, you know, there's more programs and things coming out as well to help around um, marketing operations, but I think at the end of the day, it's just being willing to be a hand raiser. Yeah. And to, and to put yourself out there. Um, I really think that's, that's the key, that's the key thing for getting in and for staying in and for continuing to grow and, and being successful. Yeah. And once you're in that marketing operations role, you're, you're still going to have to be that hand raiser and insert yourself to gain information and be a part of the conversation. Because, um, in a previous conversation, in um, one of our MOPS confessions, it comes like like MOPS is like the in-between, the mediator. Sometimes you're bringing different teams together. So don't stop at like just dip, getting started in the, in the career or the role, but keeping that mindset of being supportive and being helpful and yeah. raising your hand throughout your career. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to kind of take that with consulting as well. Any advice for someone who's maybe in-house and they're thinking, maybe I want to get in consulting, be it freelance or joining um, a consulting organization? Yeah. So um, I think consulting is a different area that is MOPS, that is also um, not MOPS uh, mm -hmm. in the sense that you're in platform you know, you're, you're in the process of, but you don't own it. So you're working with organizations who do have ownership and you're coming in as a partner and you may be very embedded within their team, but it has sort of a twofold impact. First, I find in a lot of previous roles, I would come in and for the first 30, 60, 90, I was the expert that, you know, everybody, it was the Bible on mops, like mm -hmm. whatever she says, that's what it is. And then that afterglow kind of started to fade off after a while. And pretty soon it was, oh, Andy says to do this. And it, it wasn't necessarily taken with that level of industry best practice expertise that, you know, I saw early in the organization. And I saw that across so many orgs, I've seen it for so many different people. It's like you have a short window of time to really impact change or, or to, to sort of right the ship in the direction that you need it to be headed to get on a good path. And then to follow through with that post. As a consultant, you're always the expert that they're bringing in. You continue to have that level of clout um, where what you say is taken with that extra level of gravity. And I think that that is really powerful and it's nice to have that um, within the organizations that you're working with, to be able to come in and say, the best way to do this is this. This is you know, the outcome of doing it this other way and some things that you can potentially avoid by not. Um, so that's a nice side of consulting. The other side of consulting, which could be nice or not nice, 
depending on the type of person you are, is the lack of ownership. It's kind of a little bit like being a mechanic. Um, you know, people drive their car in, it's making a funny noise. You dig through, you run a bunch of tests, you di do diagnoses, you come back and say, hey, you know, this needs to be rebuilt. These things need to be changed in order to optimize this and get it running perfectly. These are the things we need to do. And then they're either going to choose to go ahead and have those things done or not. But when they drive it out of your shop, it's very much kind of a like a bye bye boys, like have fun storming the castle kind of scenario because it's not your instance anymore. It has exited. And in certain scenarios, it's a long term relationship that that that's not driving off a lot for you permanently. Right. Like they're coming in back every night for fine tuning. Right. But um, that can be both very freeing and also very frustrating, depending on the type of individual you are. If you're someone that really needs that ownership, that might be a challenge for you. But it could also be a good challenge to um, take on and, and, and you know, present yourself with that um, next step of evolution of, of being able to kind of, you know, uh, sort of uh, reach that sort of Buddhist state of non-ownership too, I guess. Yeah. Like you've helped um, with your, what you can and, and see it, yeah. see it fly. Yes. Well, and you can do that for 10, 20, 30 instances, which means that you're having a larger impact on spreading best practice, um, you know, helping new people that are coming into the organization, learning how to use a platform for the first time, take it on and develop potentially a passion for it as well. I mean, all those aspects of it. Yeah, it's so nice too to take learnings from like what you might be doing for one client or one organization and learning through other people's challenges and applying it to something else that you're working on. Um, my path is a little opposite from yours that I started in like full service agency being the consultant, being the strategist, and then coming in-house. And of course, it depends on, you know, the company that you work for and the team you have. Um, but it is very interesting coming from this more consulting where you are the expert. They're like relying on you for this advice. And then you might go in-house and then you see like, yeah, your suggestion might be taken. And but like if you have a partner or a consultant, they're like, um, well, let's see what the consultant says or whoever's yeah. outside of the business um, might be listened to over you, which I will yeah. say is not a case in my my current role. Everyone is very um, collaborative and um, and supportive of each other. But yeah, that that happens too, where um, you know you might you might be an expert in house but sometimes it's just having that outside opinion or you know it's the benefit of having that different viewpoint and not um you know that blind spot of like being in the weeds or being too close to something yeah 100 percent. yeah um so we have a few minutes left and i just want to give everyone a chance that if you have any questions for andy please let us know in the chat and we'll make sure to to address that before um, we sign off. Um, so I'll give everyone a chance here. But another question I have for you, Andy, is you mentioned um, that in consulting that you still are in platform. And so can you speak to the importance of like staying in platform um, and even, yeah, the difference from being a consultant versus in-house and what being in platform looks like. Yeah. So I think it's, um, 
been an interesting opportunity to go into a leadership role and still remain somewhat tactical and actually hands-on. It's not necessarily the reality for many leadership roles. The more mm -hmm. senior you become, the more strategic you are, and the less likely you are to be in platform. It's still beneficial to understand how the platform works. And to be able to speak through that and understand, you know, what your team is communicating to you as far as their recommendations. But from my scenario, I'm, you know, leading components of the business, and then I'm also client facing and still inside of platform. And for me, that really is, as I said, continuing to be a practitioner, thinking about it as an opportunity to practice my craft, continue to learn try new things, experiment, fail. Um, that's really important to me. And it was one of the things that was actually a potential deal breaker for me with being offered a leadership role. It was, I don't want to move out of platform. I don't want to potentially be so distant, distant from what our clients are doing on a day-to-day -day basis, that I'm no longer speaking their language, that I'm no longer living and breathing their experience and able to relate to them on a really core level about what's happening inside this fundamental tool for them. Yeah. And do you think that's something um, special with a more technical type role or like operations? Do you um, think it's net, like, it seems like it's pretty necessary to still be pretty familiar with the tool yeah. in a leadership role or a strategic role? Yeah, I, it would kind of be like trying to lead a racing team when you haven't be, been behind the wheel of a car in like 10 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, there are certain elements that are just hands-on that get dulled over time when you're not actually doing it. And I think that um, continuing to do that, to, to be in the data, to work in, for example, I do a lot of work inside of attribution platforms. So those hands-on components um, not just keep me sharp and, and remembering everything, but they also help me to continue to evolve best practice, the best way to do things, how things can be done, new ways of taking new integrators that we can then pull in and use to, you know, use these same old systems and even newer, better ways. All those types of things come out of being daily, you know, still hands-on and in, in practice. Yeah. And do you set aside a certain amount of time in your day and your week and in your planning to make sure that you're continuing to stay on top of um, evolving platforms or um, new strategies in using these platforms? Yeah. So part of that just is a natural output of the work that I do. I have a certain number of client hours per week that um, the clients need from me. And so almost by default, that's necessary. Um, and then my company heavily promotes um, what we call team time. So uh, a component of the, you know, 40 hours a week that is dedicated to um, thought leadership, self-betterment, education, all those elements um, that, you know, grow you as an individual, but also positively impact um, the organization and the team as well. Nice. Um, so I'm not seeing any questions come in. I will say that we, uh, our event platform did have somewhat of an update. So if you're 
putting a question somewhere else that's not coming in the chat, I'll make sure that um, we get those to Andy afterwards and we can maybe um, share some of the responses. But Andy, before we sign off, do you have um, any final suggestions, advice, or um, topics that you would like to end on? Um, so I guess the only piece of advice that I have is really that, you know, don't ask, don't get peace. Um, don't tell yourself no before others can, right? Um, and also, I think um, really to be willing to put yourself out there with that ask. Reach out to someone that you admire or follow on LinkedIn and say, you know, hey, I'm looking to connect with you. I really am interested in these articles you posted or this work that you've done. You know, would you be open to a 30-minute like coffee chat sometime. I'd love to pick your brain about X or Y or Z. There are so many people out there who are so willing to say yes to those asks if you make them. And we'll probably be surprised and delighted to get them because a lot of people don't reach out. They don't ask. They don't say, hey, you have something I want. How can I talk to you about those things? Um, and so if, if there's an individual or individuals that you admire in the community and that you follow and that you think you could learn from, reach out, ask if they'll teach you. Um, many will say yes. And it could be the beginning of a mentorship or, you know, a collaborative experience that could change your career. You just don't know. Um, but again, it follows that same methodology of don't ask, don't get. If you're willing to put yourself out there, even if it feels a little bit awkward or uncomfortable, you're likely to get something, you know, exponentially uh, back in rewards from that gamble, that willingness to yeah. maybe be told no. Yeah, I want to confirm how true that is, because for me, um, again, I came from agency side and working in the B2B tech space is a little newer to me. So I went on a mission to follow women in demand gen. Um, and I started just to follow the conversations and start to build a community and build up confidence to speak to others and um, learn. But I started following Hannah, who is now uh, my boss here. And I saw that there was a job and I was like, I am ridiculous if I don't at least reach out to her. Worst comes to worst. I have a mentor and a friend in the space. And now I'm here. So, and it was one of the, the best things to happen. So I just want to support what you said, like talk to people, build a community. Um, everyone can learn from everyone. So um, yeah, don't ask. The answer is no. Yep. Yeah. And so Andy, where can um, our audience follow you um, and read some of the, the articles that you've written? Yeah. So I'm pretty active uh, within Revenue Pulse's blog. Um, not as active on LinkedIn as I'd like to be these days. Uh, just a lot of extra stuff uh, that takes uh, precedence right now uh, or priority. And uh, But I am on LinkedIn. You're welcome to reach out to me on there. I'm, I'm pretty good about checking messages and responding back to people there. Um, you can also reach me via email, just andy at revenuepulse.com. I will definitely reply there. That's actually probably the swiftest response you'll get just because I'm in there all day. Um, and intermittently on Twitter and completely non-MOPS related stuff. So um, mostly LinkedIn, um, the RP blog, and then uh, champion content as well. Yeah. And you can find a bunch of stuff on YouTube too. I have a whole slew of videos there yeah. from years of mug and other things. So any of those that are useful, have that, you've got questions, please reach out. 
Yeah, lots of great content to find from Andy. So thank you everyone so much for joining. We do have our final episode for this season next Thursday. We're going to have Toby Murdoch. He is the CEO and co-founder of Highway Education. Um, so make sure to, to sign up for that. Um, Andy, thank you so much. Um, this was a great conversation. It was great uh, getting getting to know about your path and um, hearing your advice on um, getting into to the math uh, profession. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. See you later.